Bitcoin lawyer. How are you doing? Very good. I'm excited for this episode. Do you want to give uh, an overview of the different things we'll be talking about? Yes. Well, there's going to be a three-section podcast. Section number one, we're going to try to tackle a real-life problem, something that I'm very interested in and that I, I think has intrinsic value for anybody getting to know or wanting to invest in Bitcoin. It's I I was recommended by the Bitcoin lawyer to use the Cash App a couple of months ago. I've been loving it. It's very easy to use. However, through our podcast, Bitcoin lawyer said there's way more interesting and safer ways of investing in Bitcoin. So I'm like, why did you recommend this to me? So he's going to go through a list of options that there are other than the Cash App and then give his personal recommendation. And section number two is going to be a meta discussion on what would be the perfect currency, virtual or not virtual. Um, and section number three, did I say number three earlier or number two? Number, th- number Section two, number yeah. three. Mm-hmm. Section number three is going to be something that I saw on your Twitter feed earlier earlier today about certain things that are happening with cryptocurrencies and the futures market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, and and broadly, I would title those section one is uh, where to buy Bitcoin and how to buy Bitcoin. Number two is what what characteristics of a virtual currency are we are we uh, looking for in an ideal virtual currency? And number three is a discussion of the Bitcoin futures and the different the different products to invest in Bitcoin. Okay, so let's get started. Number one, you recommended the Cash App to me. Why did you recommend it? I recommended the Cash App because. They uh, are they are a company that has good corporate social responsibility, which just means that they are they are a uh, an ethical actor in the space. They are led by Square, which is a payment processing company. You've probably seen these little square uh, blocks that go that attach to an iPhone, and you can swipe a credit card and and become a payment processor with an iPhone. Have you seen that? I think I have. Yeah. I think yes. my wife has one. Yes, same company, uh, same business. They're led, uh, the CEO is Jack Dorsey, who is also the CEO of Twitter. And Jack Dorsey has personally invested in the Lightning Labs, which is a, uh, which creates LND, the Lightning Protocol. And the, the main reason why we like Square and the main reason why we are beginning to disfavor Coinbase as a community is because on the Cash App, you can only buy Bitcoin, whereas on Coinbase, for a while, you could only buy, uh, back in the day, you could only buy Bitcoin, but then they slowly started adding Ethereum, Litecoin, now Ethereum Classic, and then yesterday they came out and they said, we're going to add millions. That's their goal as a company, to add millions of, of crypto assets. And the reason why, as a community, we are uh, we push back and we are skeptical is because the main the main reason why people buy cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin is because of greed, because they want to make more money. Uh, there's not many there's not many things that an that an altcoin uh, has to offer, uh, you know, above and beyond what what Bitcoin has to offer. 
for instance, I'll give you an example. Ethereum is a, uh, you know, they, I believe that they've put forth a good faith effort to create a smart contracting platform. And in a sense, they've, uh, they've created a working product without, without too much scamming involved. You know, they did have an ICO. An ICO is when you're selling coins that you've just created out of thin air versus a mine, uh, proof of work where you mine coins and mining coins is regarded as being more fair because it's actually, uh, it, it's actually being, the miners are being compensated for for some sort of service that they're providing to the network, and it's a very organic, decentralized manner of creating coins, as opposed to an ICO where you're just selling coins. And there's there's uh, some sometimes there's even worse coins like uh, Ripple, for instance, XRP. They just okay, printed. but I, but I I, yeah. I don't want to get um, mm-hmm. because we tend to go down rabbit holes, and I want to <laughs> stay focused. I I I, I want to keep you focused on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. I, so uh-huh. basically okay. what I'm understanding is you recommended the Cash App because unlike the Square App, I think you called it, was um, that it's only focused for cash and, and Bitcoin. Yes. Okay. So so Square uh, Square has released Cash App. They're licensed in, in all of the 48 or 50 states in the United States. They're fully regulated. And they, uh, you know, they offer a very – easy to use app a very clean platform uh you know it's uh, i've i've had trouble purchasing bitcoin on it because my my debit card has not has been declined on that app but anyways uh i've had problem because my phone out of all the apps that i use that one is the one where my uh, fingerprint sensor is the most uh what would you call harsh or strictest of all, mm. like if, if wow. my hands are not fully washed and I'm fully dry and it, mm-hmm. it ha- even when it's fully clean, it will only ha- work half the time, which to be wow. fair has saved me a lot of money. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad they were strict. <laughs> uh, another thing to note about the cash app is that you will pay uh, a commission, you know, up to like 5% on all of the Bitcoin that you're purchasing, which is very steep. It's uh, comparable to the Coinbase consumer uh, website where you're paying about the same, about the same amount in commission. Uh, if you want to save money on commissions, then you, what you'd have to do is you'd have to sign up for, for an exchange such as the Coinbase Pro Exchange or Bitfinex or Binance, and you would send uh, fiat to the exchange, buy Bitcoin on the exchange, perhaps using even a limit order as opposed to a market order to save to save even more money. And then uh, after you buy your Bitcoin, what you want to do is withdraw it from the exchange because an exchange is not a safe place to keep your coins. It's uh, it's like having a bank except without FDIC protection and without uh, bank vaults, right? It's, uh, <laughs> so it's, and uh, people very early on in the community realize because due to notable exchange failures and notable exchange hacks, and they happen every year, it's, it's, uh, it's very commonplace. Sometimes the exchanges even spread out the losses to all their users. So even if your coins were not affected, you have to, you have to pay for, for some of the losses. So immediately withdraw it. Get a hardware wallet, 
Uh, Trezor wallets are top of the line. Make sure you buy it either from the Trezor.io website or from Amazon.com. They also sell Trezors there. There's two different types of uh, – two different Trezors that they or sell. Treasure. T-R-E-Z-O-R dot Trezor. Yeah, okay. Trezor. Trezor. Uh, and th- those are very high-quality wallets. I'd recommend that. Uh, the reason why you want to have a hardware wallet is because you want to have control over your private keys, not your private keys, not your Bitcoin. All you have is a bit, uh, a, a lawsuit against an exchange if you if they don't give you your Bitcoin, uh, number one. So you want to take possession of your Bitcoin, and then the hardware wallet will keep your private keys safe from the Internet because the hardware wallet is a small, dedicated computer that only has one function, which is to store your private keys and then uh, create signatures. So I guess that's two functions. Uh, sign transactions, so you can transact those those cryptocurrencies. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was fairly easy. And how much does it cost you on Amazon? Getting a um, you know, it's, it's like... Uh, it's like uh, the, sometimes there. It's, it could either be a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars on Amazon. So, but it's if you're going to be storing, you know, any any uh, yeah, appreciable amount of cryptocurrency, yes. it's worth it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, and, and one another and, question. Yes. Sorry. No, no. Sorry. Yes. Go ahead. I was just going to say you can store multiple cryptocurrencies on the same hardware wallet. So uh, continue. Oh, yes. you you read my mind because that was exactly why I was interrupting you. I was going to ask Perfect. you that question. So, yes, and, and it's, look, it's great. Uh-huh. That that brings me to my next point. Like you were, if you can buy multiple uh, cryptocurrencies or virtual money, to me, as as an investor, like I understand that you believe Bitcoin is the best virtual money or the best cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. but any savvy investor knows that you should diversify. Even if you think that's the winning horse, you should maybe hedge your bet a bit and invest on some of the other virtual monies. And maybe one of them will actually boom and become very valuable. So you could do that quite easily, hard, complicated. Do I need any more software or hardware to do that? Very easy. All you need is is your uh, the hardware wallet, and the hardware wallet will generally support you know like the t- the top five or ten cryptocurrencies, and you could you could easily store them all using the same private keys. Uh, the, now, however, um, I will say that I've thought about this question because in finance and finance academia, that is the the uh, received wisdom that diversification reduces unnecessary risk which we are which an investor is not compensated for taking on that unnecessary risk and traditional finance says that you want to own about 20 stocks uh, uh, or more and that's why indexing is very powerful because there if there is a lot of uh, idiosyncratic risks then you could actually offset them by diversification now I will say that uh, I believe that diversification in in the in the virtual currency space sure diversification works well but not within the space. I would recommend diversifying into other assets 
so you can invest in Bitcoin, but then I would recommend diversifying into, you know, stocks or gold or, you know, not really fixed oh, income right now. Co- correct, correct. Like I And I would understand that completely. But I'm just saying, mm-hmm. it, let's say you have $5,000 to spend and mm-hmm. Bitcoin would be the main one. And $1,000 you would put on all the other ones just in case. Like you, the ratio doesn't have to be equally distributed amongst cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. but I think it would it, it would be to the to each investor wanting to know how much risk he wants to assume. And I think if if you were recommending people, not that we're giving financial advice at the moment, but you you would obviously say, hey, I, I want a more Invest maybe instead of four thousand, invest four thousand five hundred, and only five hundred dollars in A, B, and C, and D mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Like that—that's a different question altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I—I I will say that diversification mm-hmm. is usually most beneficial when you're diversifying into uncorrelated assets. However, the cryptocurrencies are all are highly correlated uh, in their in their movements. So I'm not sure I'm not sure what what the real benefits are to be to be made. Uh, now, if the if the theory is that Bitcoin can fail, yet there could be another cryptocurrency that will take its place or supersede it, I think it's a it's a difficult argument to make just due to the network effects and the and uh, and essentially uh, the network effects. The idea behind that is that the more people that use a network, the more valuable the network becomes. Right, so that's why everyone uses TCP/IP, which is the uh, the protocol for the internet, right? And there could be there could be different protocols, and there could be better protocols, but you would never have a computer uh, that runs a version of the internet that that's uh, like a you know a different version of the internet to diversify, right? It wouldn't make sense to do so. But I do understand that I do understand that different you know of course investors uh, investors you know, may want to diversify, and they're definitely entitled to do so. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I, I You make a good point about the correlation, mm-hmm. that all cryptocurrencies are probably correlated. But uh, I think I see it in a different narrative. I see it as maybe, like maybe Bitcoin is MySpace, and there's a future cryptocurrency that's going to be the Facebook that takes over and just dominates. And maybe the network effect for Bitcoin is not that strong quite yet. And to be honest, I think it could just be the U.S. dollar adopting blockchain technology mm-hmm. and, and just there would be no all benefit. the other ones. There would really be very little benefit for the dollar to adopt blockchain technology. And this is a very important point to make is that the the blockchain is essentially, you know, it creates a decentralized database, which is tamper evidence, right? Uh, mm-hmm. However, if if a centralized operator can can unilaterally edit the blockchain, then at that point, the whole point of a blockchain has been essentially overridden, right? And that's why proof of work is actually what's more important than the blockchain itself, because proof of work is what ensures that a centralized entity cannot unilaterally uh, reverse or control the transactions and control the money. Okay. Um, look, let's stay focused for now. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of valuable information. 
what's the name of the hardware again? Treasure? Trezor, T-R-E-Z-O-R dot I-O. Uh, the cash app is ex- exactly spelled C-A-S-H and then space A-P-P. And then you have uh, Coinbase Pro, which is, which is you know, a, a regulated United States exchange. With, although they're a bad actor, uh, that's, that's probably who because I Because of the high fees. Uh, okay, well, the high fees are if you go to Coinbase.com. But if you go to Coinbase Pro, then then the fees are much lower, uh, and that's probably who I that's probably who I would recommend if I was like speaking to a professional. You know, uh, uh, maybe I would recommend them. Uh, Bitfinex is good, but they're I don't think they're a d- domestic. Maybe they're maybe they're a New Yorker. I don't think they're a domestic exchange actually. Um, the only other domestic exchange is Gemini. Uh, and Gem- I mean, sorry, there's multiple domestic exchanges, but they're they're a notable one. Gemini is over in New York, run by the Winklevoss twins. Then there's also oh, Bittrex. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Speaking of Facebook and <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, and then there's Bittrex, which is headquartered, I believe, in Nevada. They're also on the on the road towards regulation and and you know, of course. KYC AML laws, uh, and, and you know, I, I would say that the, the place that I would recommend investors not buy Bitcoin, honestly, is through local Bitcoins because meeting up in person is good if you have to, if you trust the other party and you have to have a certain level of anonymity when you're buying cryptocurrency. But local Bitcoins is dangerous. It's a, it's a, you know, a place for thieves and scammers to to extort people. So I would recommend against that. Cool. Then we are going to have to have a, the rest of our conversation offline because I want to know about your personal experience mm-hmm. dealing with Bitcoin in shadowy places. I imagine yeah, you in the, in the metro good. station giving <laughs> somebody a chip. But uh, okay, oh. let's... That'll be a discussion for another day. But uh, section number two. Uh, yes. Yeah. Are you ready to yes. discuss about the meta, the meta question of what would be your perfect virtual currency? And I, and I feel we're going to get into monetary policy like last time. But <laughs> basically, oh, I think... Course. Yes, I, of course we are. But uh, like the thing would be, what can we... like? Bitcoin, obviously, I still claim that it's an asset. It's not really a currency. It's not, it's not an easy method of exchanging value with somebody as of yet. Like, you might, like, the, the, I think the Bitcoin, I read somewhere if you had bought Bitcoin at the beginning of the year, you would have lost more money than if you had Argentinian pesos at the beginning of the year. So, my question to you would be, Obviously, you would want more stability. That would be one of the traits of one of off the top of my head. But number two, you would want some sort of controlled monetary policy that doesn't is not affected by political pressures of the U.S. government, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to have you don't want interest rates dictated because you have. Uh, I think a recession or not, or maybe you do. Uh, I, I kind of would be okay if there were some sort of AI 
controlling the monetary policy hmm. and that we could all agree, oh, this is what the robot is going to do no matter what in 2020 hmm. or in 2021. Hmm. Well, it's fascinating. I, I think that what, what you're talking about can be abstracted a little bit more towards uh, to something else that you mentioned before the recording, which is decentralization, right? It's about mm-hmm. – it's it's not so much about you know which monetary policy is mathematically the most optimal possible monetary policy. No, it's more about look if investors are buying un, with the understanding that there's a certain monetary policy is that going to be pulled out from underneath them like a rug from underneath them. And to be honest with you, the monetary policy of Bitcoin can change. It can. It can become more. It can become more restrictive or it can become less restrictive. And there will be big big battles about this in the future and there will be forks and the forks will have to resolve themselves through the mechanics of the free market. That's, that's how the, these forks are always resolved. And the reason why uh, attempts to change a monetary policy will fail for the indefinite future is a few reasons. Well, one of the reasons is really cultural. The, the monetary policy has been decided uh, in, a, in a decentralized manner and it will remain that way. And any attempt to change it will be will be essentially crushed by the Bitcoin holders because the Bitcoin holders are the are the people who decide uh, which forks which forks survive and which forks are are uh, uh, gain the majority and, and, support. And here's one of my dilemmas. Let's say r- right now the most of the bitcoins are in, we don't know in how many hands how much Bitcoin is, mm-hmm. but. Let's say that in in the in the future, Bitcoin reflects a bit the wealth, how wealth is distributed on the planet, and the top one percent. Mm-hmm. I, I think I heard someone somewhere they control almost half of the wealth. Wouldn't that one percent be able to make a fork that benefits them versus everybody else? Oh, you said make a make a what that benefits them? Ma- make a fork. Or vote on a oh. fork, like yes, yes. The wealthy eventually yes. would be able to hoard enough Bitcoin and and have a policy that affects them over everybody else. Yes. So this is how it works. Uh, at the moment of the fork, each person owns an equal number of coins on both sides of the fork on both blockchains. Uh, they have the same number of Bitcoin, and they decide. Uh, they can decide whether to buy or sell either, you know, they could, they could sell either of the forks, uh, or they can just hold on to both of them and just, and just, uh, hold this and let, uh, do nothing about it. Now, the reason why, uh, of course, I mean, it's very beautiful from an economic point of view that, look, this is, this is how markets work, right? People express their opinions, uh, and their opinions are most, most accurate and most wise when they have to put money where their mouth is, right? So that's mm-hmm. why, that's why, you know, uh, the markets are smarter than the smartest person, in, than the smartest person participating in the market, right? So mm-hmm. what we're, what we're doing is that, it, that's how the, these things are resolved. And the reason why you can't have one person, one vote is because there's no reliable way to make sure that there is only one person for each vote, right? Uh, what, we have what's called a civil attack. A civil attack is when somebody's pretending to be multiple people, and and that is why that is why uh, we we this is how forks are resolved. It's because 
because uh, there's no other alternative. Mm-hmm. So in that instance, I would say, I would say well, that. What, what do you mean? There's no other alternative. Like, but earlier you said that every owner of Bitcoin would, for every Bitcoin that you own, you get one vote. Correct? Mm, no, no, no. Or is it for every owner of, for every individual person who has access to a Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin, they get a vote? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so which, which when one? I say a it's vote, it's the latter. Mm-hmm. When I say a vote, I mean that they will either buy or sell their coins, which will reflect in the market price for the coin. And the market price of the coin will also determine which my uh, how many how much mining power uh, backs the coin, right? So there will be some people who say that miners decide which fork is uh is the you know the prevalence fork or which one will succeed mm-hmm. that's untrue the miners are economic actors they can they can mine a coin that has no value but they're going to be wasting their energy and their opportunity cost so in the end the miners are beholden to the hodlers mm-hmm. okay okay so you're going to love mm-hmm. So let's let's go down our list. We've talked about mm-hmm. I talked about stability. You talked about decentralization. Mm. What other mm. factors do we want? Mm, that's a great question. Currency. Mm-hmm. Um, well, stability. Mm. Can I comment on stability? Mm. Okay. I would say that you know store of value is one of the one of the properties of money, and people, of course, will say that you know any other asset is more stable than bitcoin right and and they're correct they're correct but the way that i've been internalizing store of value recently is that it's uh as andreas antonopoulos says the store of long-term value so in the long term real estate is a good store of value whereas the dollar is a bad store of value right and it's our contention that bitcoin will be a good store of value in the long term and in a sense, that's kind of how it is uh, right now, because anybody who purchased Bitcoin, uh, more, you know, any earlier than one year ago, is is sitting on profits right now. Uh, what other what other sort of characteristics would you look for in a cryptocurrency? If you were researching cryptocurrencies, what what are some of the things you would look at? I don't know. Like the way I see my investment in Bitcoin is that the potential to grow is very high and the low obviously is like I could lose the I can only lose as much money as I put in mm-hmm. so unlike uh, Microsoft which Microsoft for example like the stock has been going up or or VS or an ETF on the S&P 500 which has also been going up like I know it's going to go up but I know it's not going to duplicate in value anytime soon mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or have a, like exponential growth that's mm-hmm. a bit the what's fascinating about bitcoin and why i have a fraction of my investments in bitcoin right now mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. it's uh for a small amount you can play on the roulette table and bet on a number and the the mm-hmm. the, the probability of I don't know, if I bet on number 22, the probability of that number hitting is very low. 
But if it happens, the winnings are huge. Mm-hmm. So I kind of see my investment that way and without mm-hmm. having too much knowledge on what to look for in a Bitcoin. Uh, most of my knowledge, as you know, I get it from you. And because I know you spend more man hours studying mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies than I have. But uh, mm-hmm. what, what well, would you look yeah. for? Well, that's a good, I, I'm happy that you, that you mentioned uh, the profitability or, you know, potential returns because I'm sure that that's not only an important factor to consider, but probably the only factor that many, uh, that many, uh, investors consider when they're considering whether to buy a, a cryptocurrency or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. no, or or a stock or, or any other value. Even when you buy a house, like, I guess a house because you're using a house, but most assets, that you ever invest in or buy is because you think that you're either going to use them, like it would be a car or, or, or whatever, or it's something that you're going to invest in because you think it's going to give you more value in the future. Yes. So, and I, I, point, I, yeah. Yeah. So point, most, that's most my cryptocurrencies are the latter. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why yeah. HODL mentality is so strong. And I think, I think it was one of the things that is fascinating is what you told me the last time that you said people who invest in cryptocurrency don't have a lot of knowledge in investing in financial markets or any type of markets whatsoever. But they do, so they might not be as savvy as as other investors, but they have that belief. And that's all you need is you need certain people willing to trade Bitcoin at whatever it is right now, $3,500 per per coin for that market to be stable right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Another factor to consider is what, uh, I mean, of course it does, the, the expected returns from the investment does come back to monetary policy because if depending on the monetary policy that will, de- that will determine how many new coins are entering the market, which will essentially determine, you know, the the effective supply of the coin, right? So with Bitcoin, we have a supply that is decreasing over time. Uh, The supply, the flow of new Bitcoins is decreasing over time. Whereas with a centralized coin, which has been printed, for instance, there's usually a, a centralization of the coins themselves. So these, the people who print the coins have an outsized amount of these coins, and then when they sell, they put downward pressure on the market. Uh, case in point is there's a the, the guy who founded Ripple, his name is Jed McCaleb. He's selling, uh, on average, uh, about half a million Ripple every day onto the market, which translates to about a quarter of a million dollars worth of this, worth of Ripple every day onto people. And, of course, it's not sustainable in the long term, but the point is that the point is that the monetary policy does does have something to do with the expected profitability of owning these assets. Right. And one of the things I'm betting on is that there will be an uptick at like the beginning of the year because people, not enough financial investors know how the Bitcoin monetary policy works where there's less and less Bitcoin to mine. What do you think yes. about that? Do you think I'm like financial markets have? I I would think there's enough smart people in in New York or Wall Street to 
to have come up with that and to have factored that into their projections. But uh, I think it could it could still catch some people by surprise. That's a good way to know how well uh, that a person has researched Bitcoin. You just ask them ask them if they know about the halvening, right? And the mm-hmm. halvening, of course, is when the when the block reward subsidy uh, falls by half every four years, and that's usually associated with a, a supply shock in the market and the rise in the price. You know, I'd like to I'd like to ask you what you think about uh, what we would call censorship resistance, or it's another it's another manifestation of decentralization. Just being able to know that a transaction is irreversible and that uh, certain transactions won't be outlawed by a sovereign or by a centralized issuer. How important is that, in your opinion, uh, to to you and maybe the markets in general? Um, like you're basically saying, how important is the role of credit cards and a, a trusted third party? in between some transactions, right? Yes, and uh, well, going back, you, you mentioned before that you heard an opinion that perhaps the, these cryptocurrencies would be more valuable if they were more transparent and that... No, uh, m- more, than, more than transparent, like uh, I heard a gentleman speaking about... Uh, the, like cryptocurrency and like what we're actually going to get out of this technology is the safety. Like his his whole narrative was, look, whenever you're doing a transaction or, a, or wiring somebody money online through your bank account, you're going into the website, they're asking you for passwords, they, they ask you uh, what, what was the name of your favorite pet, who did you date in high school, like all these, it doesn't feel very safe, you know. Mm-hmm. The, he says that the the final solution that we're going to get with cryptocurrencies in general is a, is something which safety will be so integral that it, like it'll be part of your identity, basically. Like mm-hmm. you will never have a safety issue again because it'll be so. Mm-hmm part of the system and it might even become the name of the system that was a bit, a bit what he was saying and he says like the anonymous transactions is not as important as being able to justify what transactions you had to the IRS or to somebody who is accusing you of financing terrorism or or financing the mafia, or money laundering, or or whatever. So eventually, event, that's going to have more value than being able to be anonymous. And and I don't know. Like I can obviously see what the benefits of anonymous peer-to-peer payments can be, but I. I do think that it, it, it has attracted a lot of the crime element and the tax evaders for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I do see the, the government eventually stepping in. And even though I'm not a big fan of sovereign states, I think ultimately they do have a monopoly on violence and they will be able to impose their their will in, in the 
monetary, like they're not going to let go of monetary policy easily. And they might have, they might have, the, they might just add this technology to a system that they already have. Mm-hmm. And they might, but also they might give away kind of like what we were discussing in the last podcast. They might be able to outsource their monetary policy. And instead of being a, a political tool, mm-hmm. just saying, no, this is, we're going to outsource this to an AI or we're going to have a, a policy like Bitcoin has right now where where there's a set amount of actual bitcoins in the universe and and nothing else what what do you think about hmm. like what what, how, what yeah. holes do you see in my story because that well, you give a lot of good arguments yeah what I would say is that it having a having a default default privacy is is powerful because if somebody wants to reveal information about themselves, if somebody wants to say, hey, look at all of my records, like here they are, right? They can do that. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not forced to do that. It's voluntary. Uh, the government may force them to do that. But the it's it's almost like what we were saying about our pseudonyms that when we have when if we use our pseudonyms, we can selectively reveal to people our true identity. But we don't have mm-hmm. to reveal our true identity. Uh, all the time, right? And and I almost feel like the current, the legacy systems that we have are already very good at leaving a paper trail, right? So I don't I don't understand why virtual currencies would actually be providing more value uh, in in providing a you know sort of an omniscient uh, centralized entity to monitor all transactions, right? Uh, but of but, but big, you're saying like you with cryptocurrencies you'd be able to to use a pseudonym in a way, but mm-hmm. at the same time be able to show your credit score in a way, you know, or that yes, 99% of your transactions have been in good faith and every, everybody votes absolutely. five stars when, okay. Correct, correct. And the best thing about cryptocurrency is that you can have multiple pseudonyms, right? So each, think of each Bitcoin address as a different pseudonym. And if somebody wants, and there's lots of people that do this, they use the same Bitcoin address over and over again, and you could see, like, okay, this address, I know that it belongs to this person because, it, you know, whatever, it's it's on, it's uh, has their name in it, or it has this long transaction history, or it's been it's been verified by their Twitter account. The Twitter account said, this is my Bitcoin address, and then they posted it, right? Uh, so. I, the reason why the reason why I think is, this is a very important point is because there's a big movement uh, in the in in my community uh, of thinking of fungibility, what we would call fungibility, as an unqualified good, right? In the sense that when you receive a dollar uh, in in commerce, you don't have to look up the serial number of that dollar to see if the dollar was ever used by a terrorist organization, right? You just accept right. the dollar. It settles immediately. You put it in your pocket, and then you can you can conduct commerce freely. Now, mm-hmm. the problem with cryptocurrencies is that there the serial numbers are posted, you know, uh, in the blockchain. So if if now we have a different rule for cryptocurrencies, that may actually chill commerce in that regard, right? So fungibility is very important. A dollar is a dollar. Uh, and it doesn't matter what's the history of the dollar; it is it, it's protected by well, the law. But that's if, if you can prove that as a certain hundred dollar bill 
came from a bank robbery mm-hmm. because of the serial number. Mm-hmm. Then, like there are the, the, these are things that the government wants to to solve to a certain degree. Like a dollar is a dollar, but hey, we know that this uh, this bill was was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was sh- shouldn't be in the system. Like, uh, like well, that's something that would be good not only for the government but for all of society. If they if they blocked it, in my opinion. Hmm. hmm. Well, that's interesting. Okay, so let's assume let's let's go further down this road, right? Assume the okay. government says like, the government says Bitcoin is too pseudonymous. We want to know if you want to use Bitcoin, you're going to have to register your your Bitcoins with the government, so we know so we can actually have some control over the money supply, and we can track down criminals, and we can hold people accountable. Blah blah blah. Right. Mm-hmm. What would happen is that they can't. The government cannot use its monopoly on uh, violence to go down and arrest, you know, the, the the executives of Bitcoin Incorporated. Right. There is no such entity. There are. There is no headquarters. It's a. It's a decentralized system. It's like the internet. Right. You can. You can try to. You can try to control the internet, but it's. It's very difficult. It's like trying to uh, uh, hold back the sea. Right. So, so well, but it's going to be easier in China and Russia. Yes. What would happen <laughs> is what would happen, and I, I've thought of, I've thought a lot about this. Uh, what would happen is that the government would say, uh, you know, Bitcoin has to have these features, namely, we need to be able to reverse transactions, freeze transactions, whatever. We need to be able to. Uh, I mean, at a minimum, they're going to they're going to want to to uh, freeze a transaction, right? So the government can issue those laws and then try to get the exchanges to to implement those those regulations and try to get the miners to implement those regulations. But essentially, mm-hmm. what they're doing is they're creating a fork, right? Now, we're gonna don't get me don't get me wrong. We're gonna talk about forks in a later episode, but that would be a soft fork. And what would happen is a soft fork has a different market dynamic than a hard fork, and it's actually. Uh, it would actually be fascinating to see that play out because, once again, the markets are going to decide, right? You and I, we can come to a conclusion on this podcast, and whether we're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. The markets are going to decide what that fork is going to – what's going to happen during that fork and which Bitcoin will be more valuable, the Bitcoin with privacy features or the Bitcoin uh, with reversibility. And it will be an interesting battle between the incumbents, such as the Wall Street investors, and the cypherpunks and the roots of Bitcoin, like the people that were the hardcore libertarians who bought a lot when it was very cheap. And the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that the most, the most irrational, the most, uh, you know, ad- uh, ideological people who bought the most Bitcoin the earliest on and held the hardest and held mm-hmm. securely, those people are the ones that have more of a say in the markets because they have more Bitcoin. Right. And what they're going to do is they're going to sell the KYC Bitcoin, the Bitcoin where everyone's address is registered with the government. And they're going to buy more of the underlying Bitcoin that they that they uh, believe in. And that's and the markets are essentially going to battle it out. They might do that. Mm -hmm. But eventually, I think the market would stabilize like those original investors. Mm-hmm. Like they'll get older, they'll they'll have children. They might give some Bitcoin to their children. It'll be divided into, and in a couple, maybe in one or two generations, 
it'll be spread out. And I think the people who hoard those original Bitcoins that can't be traced will be people who do want to have, uh, who have a, who are willing to pay a premium price for money laundering or tax evasion or finance terrorism. I would have to push back on that a little bit because I believe that privacy has value to even completely law-abiding citizens. Uh, of course, the, the black markets, of course, would pay a premium for those for those uh, uh, features. Right. Don't get me wrong. Right. And, and, and what I'm yeah. saying is, no, but but sorry, but like what I'm yeah. saying, privacy. Obviously, there's going to be degrees of privacy in the future hopefully like right now we're in living in a world where privacy we've lost a lot of our uh, our privacy rights i think and i think that's something people are working on right now is regaining some of our identity mm -hmm. privacy like not everybody needs to know everything about us and i think mm -hmm. if, if we make a transaction in the future like i can go peer to peer use a pseudonym and they don't have to know where I live, who I am, what color uh, eyes I have, what color hair I have, how I dress, who my wife is. They don't have to know anything about me. Mm -hmm. They just have to know that I sent a transaction at a certain time and they send me an Apple computer in return or they mm -hmm. or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. The What I was saying was you also want to have a, a certain amount of proof that you made a, a certain transaction at a certain time, like and mm -hmm. and that everybody acknowledges when when you want to make it public, you you're able to show it in good faith to everybody and say no mm -hmm. here is the here is the proof and we all know that this is true. So th there's going to be varying degrees. You're still going to have anonymous. You're still going to be able to be anonymous. If you if you want for most of your transactions, mm -hmm. but if you want to make it public, you can mm -hmm. take the pseudonym away, basically. Yes, and there are times when when not only do we want to make a transaction public, but we need to, right? For instance, when we buy real estate, we record the the, the deed in the county recorder's office. It enters the chain of title, and we want everyone to know that that transaction occurred. Right, so there could be no double spending of that real estate, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and, uh, and I I think I could see other times when when we would want to be able to prove that that you know what we paid for a certain object, like when we buy an investment and then we later on uh, sell that investment, we want to be able to tell the IRS or whatever we want and the tax collector, we want to be able to tell them, look. This is how much money I made on this transaction. Please don't tax me on the entire amount of the sale price, you know. Uh, or they, or somebody wants to say, I bought this more than a year ago, therefore I'm entitled to long-term capital gains treatment in the United States. Right. Right. But there are a few other times, really, where I would, where I would think that somebody would want, you know, the only other time I could think that somebody wants somebody else to know about their transactions is when you're, when you have like a credit card and you're getting cash back and and you know that you're selling your information to the bank, right? The bank is giving you cash back, uh, but they want to know more about your buying habits. They want to be able to sell your information to third parties and make more money. So unless unless there's profit involved, I can't see any I, – I, it's hard for me to fathom why somebody would want all of their transactions to be public record. 
I think that's a very good point. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm wondering why I don't have a cashback credit card. Because so, mm -hmm. I, I have nothing to hide for now. But uh, cool. Uh, look, this yeah. was a nice, nice little discussion. Made a discussion of what the perfect currency was. But so let's recap. I wanted stability. You definitely want decentralization and be able to be anonymous. But and that's where we battle the most. I think. I think there's like I believe. Well, I don't want to repeat what I said earlier. But I do believe that, that the sovereign state will get their hands on whatever currency we use in the future, no matter mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. And it, it might become a universal one, and they might be able to to not dictate the monetary policy at will. That would be amazing. Kind of outsource it. Yeah, that'd be amazing. The, the you know the underlying feeling of the of the Bitcoin community is that look the government's never going to choose that voluntarily. They're never going to relinquish their printing press voluntarily because no rational economic actor would. Uh, but rather we're going to have to make changes. We're going to have to implement privacy whether they like it or not. We're going to have to implement a strong monetary policy whether they like it or not. And the the government is only uh is only another market actor and if they don't like it they can short it. Correct. And there's two issues. There's, yes, it's like right now they're playing a game where how much money can we print without affecting the stability of our coin and, in mm -hmm. the, and mm -hmm. especially relative to other uh, currencies. Mm -hmm. And number two, how much debt can we get into without... <laughs> It affecting our currency as well. So if, if the currency were independent of the debt, I think that would be that that would be a step in the right direction. And if you outsource it to some sort of AI system that is trying to calculate stability at all times and make it stable, I mm -hmm. think that would be also very interesting. That would be parameters that most people would would start using a a, a virtual currency forever. Hmm. Well, that would be great if we could just put some sort of algorithm in the Constitution that says, uh, you know, whenever inflation is above two percent, you know, we we decrease our money printing, and whenever inflation is below zero percent, we increase our money printing. Uh, I mean, the problem is that unless if there's any way to game the system, the system will be gamed. Oh, absolutely. Like, mm -hmm. there will be people who will try and and fool the system, I guess. Like, the, the jobs yeah. report will be wrong, and, and then mm -hmm. when it's corrected three months later, they can make a killing or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That'd point. be interesting. You want me to, that, do you want to just jump to our last topic? The, the absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, let, let me. So this is issue number three. Mm -hmm. Hold on, let me get my my Twitter feed real quick. Mm -hmm. Let's see mm -hmm. if I can find it because I I thought it was I can tell fascinating. You. Yes. Oh, you can tell me. Okay. I, I remembered. Yes. Uh, so today, 
September 26th, yes, September 26th, uh, 2018, and the futures, Bitcoin futures uh, on a few different platforms, such as, you know, options, yes. Better than your own memory, let me just, let me just. Sure, go for it. Let me just read it. There's CoinLord yesterday said, in three days, volatility going to explode. And Satoshi MBA responded, catalyst? Question mark. And then Doc B. Titan on Twitter said, CME futures, September 28th, final day of trading. BitMEX futures, September 28th. Derbit futures plus options, September 28th. And Ledger X options, September 28th. And then Bitcoin lawyer, our own personal Bitcoin lawyer, responded, how do these <laughs> events affect volatility? And Doc B. Titan responded, since futures are trading in backwardation, I'd expect selling of spot and buying of futures to capture the difference until expiry. This has historically mm-hmm. been the case, usually followed by a small pump afterwards. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, and uh, that's essentially what backwardation refers to is when the futures uh, or the you know the contracts for future delivery are trading at a discount uh, to the contracts for present, uh, present or more recent, uh, more near-term delivery. The reason why I am just befuddled by the discount and the backwardation is because usually backwardation occurs when. The markets are saying, "Look, we have no—we don't want this commodity right now." But uh, I'm sorry, we we uh, we don't want this commodity in the future. Um, hold on, let me think about this. Let, let me give you an and example. Say, of I, oil. I'm, look, I'm, because I'm already lost. What mm-hmm. is backwardation? Like th- this oh, okay. is what I for the layman, and I'm definitely the layman right now. All I'm mm-hmm. understanding is the futures market are not going to trade bitcoins anymore on September 28th. Is that? What I'm getting, and that perhaps is backwardation. Oh, okay. The, all right, it's a good question. So this is this is how it works. If you want to buy Bitcoin and withdraw from the exchange today, you have to buy mm-hmm. on the spot market, right? Okay. If you want to invest in a Bitcoin future, which is which would basically say, okay, if you want to uh, bet on the price of Bitcoin, um, what it's going to be on September 28th, right? You can buy Bitcoin. You can enter into a contract to buy Bitcoin, which will be delivered on September 28th, right? And and the reason why people invest in futures and speculate in futures is because you know usually in commodities there there's a usually it's to hedge price fluctuation risk. So the commodity producers want to hedge their risk of price fluctuations in the future. And the commodity consumers similarly want to hedge the risk, so they engage in a in a contract to to be executed in the future, right? And the price of the futures contract is generally higher uh, in the future, right? So if I want to buy 100 barrels of oil from you a year from now, generally you're going to charge me a little bit more than what the what the price of oil is today, right? Now, yeah, unless you think it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. Uh, and and of course, uh, uh, if okay, so let's say that generally, if if prices in the futures are higher, but but when it when the prices for the futures are lower, that's a that's a condition referred to as backwardation. And 
the reason why it's, it blows my mind is because the futures are trading at like a 1% discount to spot market. So literally what the, what investors can do is they can go long, I'm sorry, they can go short on the spot, go long mm-hmm. on the futures and converge the prices towards each other. And it would be very easy to do that, especially on an exchange like BitMEX, which allows highly leveraged uh, trading. A person, if there's a 1% difference, a person can theoretically go 100 times leverage and then uh, double their portfolio by just waiting a few days or waiting a few months for the futures to uh, for the future price to converge. Oh, there's the a margin price. there where they can like get guaranteed yeah. returns. Okay. Yes, that's right. What you mean. So what what this gentleman was saying is that the price of the spot will have to converge with the futures as they expire, right? And it, if if the prices don't converge, then there's just free money sitting on the table that an arbitrage uh, an arbitrageur can just uh, you know pick up. And I you know I would uh, we'll have to next time next podcast I'd like to start off with a little talk about backwardation because I haven't had enough time to think about it and really understand its uh, its implications that much. Okay, uh, fair enough. I'm going to stop the recording right mm-hmm. about now. Yes. Let's say bye sure. to uh, the listener, whoever he may be or she may be. Yes. Goodbye. And, and to the listener. Bitcoin lawyer. Okay. Yes. One one more comment for the listener. Uh, if you If you have any more questions about how to store your Bitcoin or how to use a hardware wallet or – uh, different questions about how to withdraw your your bitcoins from an exchange. You can go ahead and message me on Twitter at bitcoin underscore lobby, and that's my handle. There you have it. Uh, I think we're gonna go back to that in our next podcast because I'm gonna try and actively um, build up a treasure. Mm-hmm. And, and have, and, and control my own Bitcoin. And I'm sure I'll have some questions. So. Perfect. This, this is enough for this podcast. Thank you very much. Yes.